Welcome to the Work Seminar, the podcast for people with liberal arts advanced degrees considering work outside their fields of study. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to another episode. I'm your host, Jesse Butts. Today I'm chatting with Elizabeth Sutherland, an MA plus ABD in philosophy from Boston College turned information technology executive. Elizabeth's forte is working in the Salesforce Center of Excellence, and she's done that across many large companies in a variety of industries. Elizabeth, welcome. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity, Jesse, and uh, uh, thank you all for listening in. Before we dive into your journey from philosophy to IT, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing now? What exactly is uh, Salesforce and the Salesforce Center of Excellence? Let me treat that in two channels. So Salesforce uh, is a, a highly robust and competitive technology that continues to grow um, and is, uh, you know, largely known as a, as a hot technology in industries. Um relative to, uh, you know, to, to especially cloud software. Um, so I've been working with Salesforce for the last, say, eight years. Um, I've also been working with Centers of Excellence, which is basically delivery centers. Um, we're kind of end-to-end, um, mostly engineering, but we also do support. We also do analysis. So kind of end-to-end services. And do companies you create these centers of excellence because they've invested so much and they need to make sure that they have a good return from all they've spent on Salesforce or a similar technology. What's the the reason that these are coming about? Yeah, it, it, it varies to some extent. Um, and uh, each of my um, engagements, I've uh, basically built or built up uh, three centers of excellence at this point. Um, in two of these cases, we have um, we have had larger organizations which were global, and we were solidifying into a comprehensive deal with Salesforce, which caused us to have a need to really centralize the cost management. The other one was similar in in theory, but in fact was a little bit more of just we were using the platform to build up something that was pretty custom. I'm guessing that, you know, when you were in grad school, you weren't thinking this is where your your career would go. So I'd like to start there. So I'm curious, um, what what made you interested in studying philosophy in grad school? Why did you decide to go beyond undergrad? I, w- I was an English major uh, when I started undergrad, and um, most kids are taken that last, you know, the latter year, if they're on the cusp, I didn't. So I graduated when I was actually 17 uh, from high school. And I graduated um, because I only did uh, three years um, because I wanted to get out of undergrad at the age of 20. So um, after that, I wasn't really quite ready to just go to work. I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Um, I kind of toyed with the idea because uh, my father worked for um, a, a newspaper um, as uh, an executive director. Um, and so I had kind of, you know, I had a reporting job and I, I enjoyed that. But 
Um, but my parents really encouraged me to just like, just go get your degree. You can do it in a year. It's not that big of a deal. Um, and from there, I really decided that what I really would prefer to do was major in philosophy and really pursue that um, further um, for my own learning, because that's what I was caring about. Um, I wanted to learn more. I wanted to think harder. And I wanted to be able also uh, potentially to, uh, you know, to teach in that realm. Um, at the same time, I also had a real um, passion around literature, poetry, um, as well as music. So I was a minor in music as well. So um, I, I yeah, kind of an array of different things that I was exploring. And, you know, of course, the crazy things you do in your uh, early 20s, like get tattoos and that type of thing. Um, or study philosophy yeah. as well. Uh, but, um, but, but that's what um, I decided to do uh, is, is pursue the master's degree. And then um, I performed well enough and, and saw enough of a future in that um, to pr pursue a PhD. And this was at the same institution, right? Boston College for both of those? Um, I actually went to um, undergraduate um, at Gordon College. Oh, okay. Um, in uh, north uh, northeast uh, Massachusetts, um, and then, but I did my master's degree as well as my PhD work um, at Boston College. So, when you were wrapping up your master's work, had you already decided that you were really interested in doing that PhD work and you wanted to pursue a career in academia, or was there there any gap in between those? Um, there, there was a real gap, um, and um, it was a really kind of interesting one because um, typically um, uh, Boston College admits uh, a total of five people into their paid uh, uh, PhD program, hmm. one of whom usually is a master's student from the institution itself. In this particular case, um, I was number six, and nobody didn't accept. So mm. I didn't get in year one, but I that's where I wanted to go. I, that's where I wanted to continue. Um, and so I took a year off, um, and I did a panoply of things, including um, a foray into corporate America, as well as uh, waiting tables and you know, all sorts of other types of things that gave me a lot of life experience. So it was almost like I felt like that year that I needed to take off um, that I hadn't had the chance to do yet. It, it seems like, a, and little did she know that that foray into corporate America would be the foreshadowing into corporate America. Exactly. Um, perfectly put. <laughs> yeah, perfectly put. Yes. So, uh, so when you did enroll for your PhD program after that, that year gap, were you pretty set? Were you, were you approaching that career wise that you wanted to pursue a career in academia? Was it, was it more of, I really love this subject and I just want to keep studying it. What were you, what was your mindset at that point? That's a great question. And I've got probably three different answers that conflict to that. Um, which is how my mind works. But my, my dad's uh, perspective was, well, what are you going to do with that? Shouldn't you just, you know, go get a job? 
And then there was the me that thought I was going to become this brilliant person. I was going to not just teach and be an academic, but I was going to be um, a brilliant, special person. Again, I was 21 when I was making these decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other part of me had the practicality to realize that um, even though I was working like four side jobs in order to put myself through grad school, I still wasn't making ends meet. And so mm-hmm. that's what ultimately led me to um, consider reality and um, appreciate the literal arts um, training that I'd had at university and through grad school and, and think about that a little differently in terms of how I wanted to apply that in my life um, and in my career. So how many years were you in your PhD program before you pursued work outside of the field? Uh, so a couple of years I did, um, I, I cleared my, my master's degree in two years, took the year off, and then I was in my PhD program for, um, it, it was overlapping because I, I, I continued to, uh, extend, but, you know, it was one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I'm active, but I'm not active, but I'm actually working. Uh, but I started working in, uh, 90, in, in 99. So was the intention, I'm going to work a bit and do the, the dissertation on the side, or what was what was that approach? Yeah, it, it, in, in fact, the original intention was, um, I'm going to work for six months because I can't pay my bills. And, you know, I, I didn't have a sugar or anything. Um, instead <laughs> of uh, taking the opportunity to go to Vienna, to write my dissertation, which I, I could have done for free, but with no money and debt sitting over here. So it was really a practical consideration. I intended to stay for six months, but I got such great opportunities um, once I started working that um, I didn't want to go back to that world where, um, you know, I'd seen how hard and, um, you know, challenging some of the, 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 um, just day-to-day life of being an academic and working at these institutions might not be the best fit for me. Um, and uh, the opportunity, you know, the, the opportunities that I was getting in particular to travel the world. And I mean, I did projects in Singapore, Australia, South Africa, um, the UK, Ireland. I mean, I, 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 I got to travel the world. And I got to learn new things. And I keep learning new things as I continue my career. And so that's why um, my six-month, you know, contract that um, was just meant to pay off the bills turned into the, you know, 20-plus years that I spent in IT. That that those opportunities that you're mentioning, you you started immediately in IT once you entered the, the private sector. Is that right? Yeah. Once I um, entered, yeah, the the, the, the corporate sector. Um, and um, really the reason that I did that is I thought about, you know, we made jokes uh, when I was in grad school. Well, what are you going to do when you graduate? Flip burgers? I'm like, ah, I got to figure out something better than that. Um, but it was a real, like, conversation that we had 
um, because the applicability of something like a liberal arts degree, um, you know, wasn't, you know, terribly well perceived at the time. And, um, and, and so I thought about what can I do? Um, I can write and I can teach. Mm-hmm. So where can I do that? Where can I do that effectively? In an, in, in an organization that will help me to learn whatever other skills that I need. So I was a technical writer uh, slash systems implementer slash trainer um, as we were rolling out technology um, in, in the context of uh, an acquisition. So uh, that that's really how I got my grounding and I learned a lot. Um, and I learned fast enough, apparently, to continue to, you know, to add value and um, actually moved into management level um, pretty darn fast. As you were thinking about what you wanted to do or where you could take your skills and education, did you start looking specifically for IT opportunities? Was it kind of applying for anything that seemed like it hit those criteria what was that process into entering the field? It was really, what can I do? Um, well, I can teach, I can read, I can learn. Um, you know, I, you know the, the, I can write. Um, what are the jobs that require those skills? So um, I really had a big smattering of things. And, you know, this one and several others kind of jumped out as, um, you know, particularly good opportunities in areas that and metros that I wanted to, um, you know, to target um, in which to live um, for personal reasons and family reasons and so forth. So earlier you were mentioning that you you made your way into management uh, in relatively short order when when you did reach that level, when you were earning promotions were you at a place where you thought IT is where I've found a calling or where I really have found a niche? Maybe a calling is too strong. Was it a little bit of, you know, hey, this is this is going well so far. Let's see where it takes me. Like, what was your relationship to the work at that point? Yeah, super question. Um, I would say that I was... Um, at least three promotions in. So I was a director um, around the time that I actually conceded to being a technologist. (laughs) (laughs) Actually admitting that that was what I was doing uh, versus uh, just masquerading um, in the field. Um, So, um, you know, a lot of what I was good at was, you know, cutting to the bottom line thinking through the scenarios and breaking down what was really necessary versus a lot of like the, the, you know, the, you know, the raccoons and squirrels, forget about the dogs and cats that, you know, are going to be off to the side that you don't really need to worry about to just get to how much is it going to take for us to get this thing done? And what is the main thing? Um, So it was that kind of thinking that I think got me into some of those higher levels um, relatively quickly, um, you know, versus learning a lot of uh, the actual technology. But um, I I also um, invested a lot of time in that as well. Um, You know, I think it's important for anyone who purports to be um, 
a technologist to, um, you know, to know what they're talking about um, and to understand the field, to understand the technology. And it's, you know, for the most part, I, I don't want to say that it's not hard or that technologists don't have really tough jobs that I can't do, but I at least know enough to know who I should ask to work on this thing because I know what kind of thing it is. And so those are the sorts of skills um, that help, have helped me to advance my career um, versus being, you know, really deep in any single technology. And I would also say that, you know, hearkening back to my liberal arts uh, training, learning how to learn and having a new thing that doesn't scare me it's just this is the next new thing um, has really benefited me um, in my career. In addition to the logic aspect of breaking it down and, 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 and saying, okay, this is not this huge problem. It's, it's these five things in these five columns and these four rows. And you can figure this out pretty quickly. Let's write it down. So, um, you know, being able to build those truth tables or what, whatever you want to call it, um, I think has benefited me across my career. Are you talking in the sense of like a PhD logician, you know, like all those terms I've now forgotten, like modus ponens and modus tollens and symbolic logic, like was that a forte of yours and you were able to apply it to what you're doing or, or do you mean kind of a more conventional logic of this? I'm, I'm curious where where, if at all, all that philosophy reading and training is is coming into work at this point? Yeah, yeah, I would say at this point, because, uh, you know, I have a good friend who uh, continues to read um, her Latin textbooks over the summers. Um, I tried to get her to throw them away in this last move, and I, I failed. Um, I'm not like that. I don't do these types of things. So it's very much more organic when I apply, um, you know, my logical background. But um, but I think in logical terms, um, mm. and it's really more of those analytical skills um, that break through um, some of the things that are actually extraneous to whatever you're trying to figure out and being able to parking lot those stuff. Um, you know, that, that's really what's important to a conversation. And it's something you do in like every good meeting, you know, you, you keep to the subject and you parking lot stuff. Mm -hmm. It's really that simple. What do we really need to figure out? And then where do we need to dig deeper and where are the conflicts that we're going to encounter? Um, mm -hmm. Ends up being basically project management 101. One thing I think what our listeners might be interested in is, you know, you've mentioned that, I mean, you had made yourself up to a director before you started identifying as a technologist and things like that. Is that, in your experience, common for some people to to make it that far without being you know, identifying with that earlier on? Or were you a, a bit in your thinking kind of an outlier, just just to give listeners some perspective about you know, we, we always hear about what's your five-year plan? What's this or that with careers? But, you know, what 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 has your trajectory, or maybe not trajectory, but what has your approach been or or experience been in those terms? 
I, I would not uh, consider myself someone who has had this amazing career tra uh, trajectory and I'm going to, you know, retire as a CIO or some, you know, higher level um, person. Um, candidly, I don't really want that. I'd rather retire early and um, possibly, possibly even go back to my roots and spend more time, um, you know, writing and thinking um, mm -hmm. and, you know, not doing the corporate work. Um, that said, um, I've had a pretty moderate um, trajectory across my career where I have, I have learned to do the job that is the level above where I am before getting that job um, pretty consistently. So it's, it's been slow and steady. So one thing I mentioned in the intro is that you've worked across a few different industries. I'm curious if you wouldn't mind sharing as you've advanced in your career and you've changed industries was, and maybe it's probably not all this way, but have some of those been because you found a particularly a particular industry intriguing, or was it more like a position so, so in a different industry was intriguing and the industry didn't really matter as much? Like, what's been your uh, what's been your take on industry in, in your line of work? Um, industry for me has been, um, um, I would say. Uh, accidental. Um, my my uh, my first job after I finished um, and stopped working on my PhD uh, when I stopped writing my dissertation um, was for um, a government contracting um, outfit. Um, I had nothing but location to recommend that to me. I was there only a year. But then I spent nine years in pharmaceuticals. You know, that company gave me an opportunity to, you know, to, to literally do nine jobs in eight years. That was really exciting. And I got a lot of growth opportunities. Um, and yes, of course, learn about a very complex business. Um, but it didn't need to be the thing that, um, you know, a lot of people who fall into pharma um, because of its complexity, kind of stay in pharma. Um, that's fairly common. Um, I didn't have a passion for it. That's just where I landed. And then from there, I, um, when they were acquired, I moved into um, a software company that was also pharma, com uh, pharma focused. Um, I did learn at that point that I needed to work for a company versus a software company. So more on the delivery end than the uh, service provider end. So that was, you know, one important kind of life lesson that I got. Um, but then, you know, the, the last couple of jobs that I've had really have had nothing to do with the industry, but really um, my experience with Salesforce. Was there something about that software or what it does that intrigued you? How did you latch on to this becoming your at least current forte so it wasn't that like i i sought out salesforce i fell into salesforce so i wish i could say better about that but that was in fact the case is um you know i ended up being the person who got tagged to you know to sort that thing out um 
And I'm glad that I did because, uh, you know, I'm, I mean, I do think that, um, you know, despite, you know, I mean, every software has challenges, but on the whole, um, particularly if you can develop the right relationship with Salesforce, um, they're great to work with. I guess I, all I can call myself is lucky uh, versus thoughtful in terms of um, actually falling into that vein. Um, but it ended up being a really good fit. And then I ended up running, um, you know, the entire um, technology area for it um, until we were acquired. And then, you know, and then ended up uh, with the other iterations um, kind of along those lines. It's interesting when you mentioned, you know, lucky versus thoughtful, the word that I was thinking of was consistent. And, and what I mean by that is that you described early on as you were contemplating your exit from grad school that, you know, you can, you can think, you can read, you can, uh, you can teach. And it seems like you've taken that attitude plus people seeing your good work and noticing it. And, you know, honing, not honing, um, establishing relationships. And it seems, you know, this is obviously, you know, just uh, just off the cuff, but it seems like that is a pretty consistent thread in, into what you're doing now. Like you, you haven't abandoned that approach. Yeah. And I, I would say that, like, if I do have any of those assets, it, it's, um, as I think I said, probably verbatim earlier in the conversation um i learned in grad school the ability to learn and so when there's a new hard thing i'm a go-to and there are people who say we need somebody like elizabeth to do this and that's how i get my new gig so um that's pretty that really has been a consistent trend um which has given me a you know, a lot of lateral experience and, you know, yeah. also accelerated my career as well. But, um, you know, just, just being that person who can learn the next new thing, which I think more and more is critical in technology because it's changing so fast. You have to be the person who can learn the next thing and apply it to what needs to be done um, in, you know, IoT or, you know, whatever is going to be the next big thing. And sorry, IoT is is what the Internet of Things. So, oh, okay, you know, like technology, physical stuff, actually driving stuff that you do. Um, that's that that that's really what it is. I'm curious if there are other soft skills isn't quite the the right term, nor is intangibles. But over your career, have there been certain aspects about employers or or teams that you've been in that have made some jobs better than the other that might not be things that we've covered already yeah maybe maybe let me like tilt that 35 degrees or absolutely so, and then tilt away. i can answer that really well i i really focus on and excel in building teams i think that it's it's not just you know i mean if Look, I hate the Yankees, but in 2001, I was a Yankees fan <laughs> because of how they were being managed and because I happened to move to New York that year. Um, 
and have a boyfriend who was a Yankee stand. So all of that being stupid background, um, the management of a team is tantamount to the individual star power of any one Kobe Bryant. And if you lose track of that, if you don't figure out how to get your team to work together and perform and see how that's all going to work out, um, that's where I really focus. Um, and I'm successful not because, you know, I'm like super brilliant and I have like great code or anything that nobody would pay me for my code. So <laughs> if they did, they would be, you know, I, I, I would shame them. Um, but I really think for me, it's the team building capability that's important for me. Um, and something that um, is resident from my experience teaching because, you know, you've got to touch people at different levels and yeah. you have to, um, you have to meet people where they are and they're not all at the same place. And that's fine. But if you can also take that and build the connections between the people who are strong at this, that, or the other thing, then you figure out how to win. And so, so, so that to me is the magic. Did you see that correlation between teaching and connecting with people on an individual level? to teams in your corporate work or was that kind of something once you started leading teams that it kind of clicked like oh if i approach this with some of the lessons i learned from teaching i can really do a great job with this um it, it was almost like a late um retro um perspective i just started doing it as i started leading teams and realized where and how I come by it. If we could be a little introspective here, you know, we've talked a little bit about, or, or I'm sorry, we've talked pretty extensively about your approach from grad school for looking for work and that, that you've stayed pretty consistent with. Is there anything else you have had to learn about yourself to find work that fits you? Maybe, you know, one of the jobs wasn't as appealing as another and you kind of identified why that was or or is there any other area where you you've thought about what made this job better than the other that we haven't covered um i i mean yes there have been definitely jobs that i've liked better than others um and a lot of it you know if i'm honest with myself had to do with um two things mainly which was the challenge that I had before me and the people with whom I worked. Um, and maybe a sub uh, bullet point to that would be the company leadership. So, um, you know, those are some of the things that I've considered when I've made transitions, but um, I'm not a quick transitioner. Um, I, 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 you know, I, 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 w I was born in West Virginia and I kind of came out of nothing. So I, I'm not somebody, I'm not, I'm not going to, you know, paint myself as like hard scrabble or anything like that. But I've, I've been taught to and just sort of grown up appreciating um, that I can work and I can support my family 
And so um, that probably has colored my, uh, you know, especially being, you know, Gen X, which is, I think, fairly common, um, my my impetus to, to stay where I am and to build loyalty because I build so much on that loyalty in order to be successful um, and not rock too many boats. And, you know, heck, I'll, I, I don't mind mentioning that maybe a little bit of it is that I'm lazy. Uh, <laughs> changing jobs kind of sucks. <laughs> so I found personally, like, in my 20s, you know, looking for a job every, I don't know, let's call it two years. That was totally fine. And, you know, I would get, I feel like I was so, I took it all so personally. And, you know, I always thought the next thing would be so much better. But I feel like around the time I got to my late 20s or early 30s, it was like, I just don't have the time to search this. Like, I don't want to spend my nights and weekends I don't want to make the arrangements like things have to be a lot different now for, you know, or at that point, I mean, for me to want to really actively search for work. Yeah. And, you know, my, my personal opinion is there's value in sticking with it for a little time, not forever. Um, it's, it served me pretty well. Um, so, um, you know, I would, I would just, you know, if, if I could make any recommendation, if you're in a job that you're not getting anywhere with, leave. If you're in a job where you've got potential to grow, um, even if it's not going to be there and even if you could make $5,000 more somewhere else, maybe stay where you are. In terms of how passionate do you need to be about work and I'm just speaking about you personally not looking for a, a categorical recommendation but do you need to love a job is it more something that you like or really like and then outside of nine to five or you know whatever the working hours are you you pursue other things like what what's that relationship to work been like for you my work what I get out of work is part of my life and some of it sucks. So like cut off the admin stuff, cut off the forms. I got to fill out all that kind of stuff. Um, but my interactions with colleagues, my figuring stuff out, the things I like to do, um, you know, there, there, there's these, uh, you know, quotes that go out like, you know, if you, if you, if you love the job that you do, then you're never working or whatever they say. Um, very cute. But, you know, I think, if you can get to like half of that time being something that you love, um, even if it's just because you like working with the people or, I mean, or what have you, that's a really good balance. And if you're not working like, you know, 14 hour days. So that would be my perspective. And I've, I've run the spectrum, especially with one, you know, I, I was traveling and such and such, but um, but, 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 but yeah, it, it, it really, it's a balancing act, but it's not just, here's this category and here's that category. It's more of a Venn diagram. So what role is philosophy or scholarship playing in your life now? I probably apply, uh, from a work perspective, um, a lot of the logic aspects 
to things that I do so I can break down problems and, and build out the analysis and get to answers pretty quickly. So that's kind of the tactical view. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can also break down and kind of see through um, arguments that are off guard that there is not valid, that type of thing. You know, I, I, I can't think of a good example, but, um, but we've all, th- we've all seen them. It's, 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 the, it's the red herring that comes through um, that, that doesn't really address the question that's being asked. Um, so those are some of the practical things, but um, where it's really played into me is in my interpersonal relationships and my ability to collaborate um, across teams that have uh, different perspectives, because that is one of the main things that I think I learned through my philosophy practice is how to interact with and understand and reciprocate, um, you know, smartly with somebody who has a slightly different opinion. And I have a, a, a friend of over 20 years who actually lives downstairs from me. And we, she, she actually teaches philosophy. Um, and we, uh, we go back and forth all the time. You know, she, she's not on the same page as I am. And so <laughs> we go back and forth. So it's part of my social life, too. In addition to my professional life, um, it's still part of my life. Were there any particular philosophers who inform how you think about work or, you know, as you in your working life, you've noticed that you think more about them than others that you you may have studied previously? So let me answer that slightly differently. Yeah, Um, sure. The philosopher who um, I studied the closely east was... um, Wittgenstein. And I would say that from a work perspective, thinking about that in terms of the dichotomy of his early and late philosophy, and which basically boils down to um, here is the right, here is the truth, here is how you find it, and it's basically in your soul. And this is logic, and there are no parameters around it. Two, actually, there are forms of life and people are weird and this is how you deal with them. And here are some of the things that you should keep in mind, uh, the forms of life, as he describes them. Um, And looking at those concepts adjacently um, within a work or any other context um, has really kind of formed how I think about life in the world, including my work. Um, but you know, the, the reality is none of us work in a perfect company or a perfect organization. We make the best we can out of it. And sometimes we can see a vision that is actually worth propagating into something that should be pulled forward into action. And then sometimes we deal with people who have a slightly different thing, but maybe they're stronger than us. We have political anger a- a- angle, that kind of thing. But um, but we have a point to make. And then 
we work with that person to get that point that we want to make addressed. So there's different ways to play that. And um, I put that into effect, um, you know, every day at work. For graduate students or, or you know, people who have completed grad school who are in a sim situation similar to what you were where, you know, I know you mentioned it was really financial constraint, but maybe it's more existential for some others, but people who are really thinking what they studied might not be the best path for their work. What, what are the questions or, or the one question you think they should be asking themselves to, to try and figure out where to go from here? I, I guess I would say number one, um, figure out how you can afford it, whether that's, you know, because a lot of people are facing student loans, um, you know, if, if, if you've got a trust fund or something like that, good for you, um, or are you going to need to work? And I would say that working while in grad school sucks, but I did it, and I know a lot of people who did it, and when you're like, you know, 22 to like 27, you can do it. It just, you can get it done. There's creative ways to get it done. And it, it, it teaches you a lot about life, um, as well as school, as well as just life management. Um, second would be um, just figuring out, um, you know, does this make sense for your future life? I am a firm believer in the value of um, advanced and liberal arts education, um, but I'm also uh, a firm believer in the value of work. I've worked since I was 14. My dad worked since he was 14. So um, I come from a long line of workaholics, <laughs> and I think that that's made me a lot of who I am. So I, I wouldn't cut that out of the picture. And, um, you know, if, 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 if one were to be a student who wanted to study some esoteric thing that didn't have really um, a, a real direction, um, who couldn't also work to supplement that, I might question that. If somebody was focused on a passion who could also help to make that passion active and do the work that would be necessary to make that happen. That's, that's what the world needs. And, um, you know, and, and, and those are the people who, who, you know, who, who really, I think in my mind, change the world. Those would be my thoughts. I think that's a great place to end. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Work Seminar. If you like what you've heard, please take a minute to rate the show on your favorite podcast app. Know someone who'd be a great Work Seminar guest or have a suggestion or two for the show? You can reach me at jesse at theworkseminar.com or at The Work Seminar on social. And special thanks, as always, to John Camp for the music and Isabel Patino for the cover art and design. Until next time, never cease from exploration.